welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. My guest today is Marianne Neely, author of multiple works on the history of Montgomery. In April 2012, she won the AHA Clinton Jackson Coley Award for the best work in local history published in the previous two years for her book, The Works of Matthew Blue, Montgomery's First Historian, published by New South Press. Thanks for joining us today, Marianne. Thank you for inviting me, Marty. And uh, the works of Matthew Blue was a long time in uh, production because New South Publishers and I began discussing doing it when I retired. And uh, we signed a contract, and then just bit by bit, I finally retired in 2003. And so we became seriously engaged in working on it then. And due to circumstances, we had to put it aside for a while and then get back to it. So it sounds as though it took 10 years, but it really was not just a continuous uh, effort. But I became just fascinated with Matthew Blue after the first recent publishing of the very small history of the city of Montgomery, which was the first published history. And the Society of Pioneers published that oh, back in the late 1960s, I think, and I picked it up and referred to it for everything. But Matthew Blue had an intriguing life. He was a journalist. He also had grown up working for his father in the post office. His father was uh, postmaster here in Montgomery. And Matthew Blue himself had a very good education in the private schools in Montgomery, the good education of the 1840s and and early 50s. He himself was uh, appointed postmaster here in Montgomery and then became a part owner and publisher and and a journalist, as I said, of the Montgomery Advertiser. So the early 1850s, 1852, 53, he was really riding high in those respects. Good job and then doing work that he loved in both the post office and the newspaper business. But unfortunately, he became a little bit rabid in his backing of a candidate here, a Democratic candidate for the Congressional District, and the opposition, which was really a know-nothing, former Whig who become a know-nothing, and who was a very prominent lawyer here in Montgomery. It got a little, well, between him and another newspaper, it became very, very uh, bitter campaign, if you will. At the same time this was happening, some difficulties erupted between him and the post office, which is the mystery that I have not been able to solve. Anyway, he lost his job as postmaster, and then because having lived a little bit higher, perhaps, than than he should have, financial difficulties, he was forced to sell his interest in the paper, or he lost his interest in the paper. So here he was, as a man, family, respected in many, many ways here in Montgomery, but he's lost these two big, important positions. In some ways, I say, well, golly, how lucky for us, because it was at that point that he did little articles for the other newspapers here in Montgomery in which he recounted local history from the older newspapers here. He collected all these, and it was published in 1878 in the first city directory. So anyway, 
he did that. Then he wrote a history of the Montgomery churches, which have been the basis for many, many, many church histories right here in Montgomery. And then he and his father did a genealogy of the Blue family, which also includes a great deal of Montgomery history. So the publisher and I decided that other than just doing this short little Montgomery history, which I've annotated and did a, a lot of wonderful experience for me, uh, research, and I hope the research was good as, as the time that I had doing it. I loved it. And then did some other annotations through the church histories and so forth. But we published Matthew Blue's work as it was written with just my annotations and editing. The fourth part of the book was the diary of his sister, which was from February 1865 to October 1865, a very, very important and dramatic and trying time here in Montgomery. From the viewpoint of a young lady who lived at that time, I thought it was extremely interesting and was important for understanding what Montgomery was like at that particular period. From the viewpoint of this young lady who belonged to a very fine family and so forth, and who recounted some of the difficulties that everybody was having during that period of time. So that's the makeup of the book. I enjoyed doing it very much. As I said, I enjoyed the research, and I enjoyed actually beginning to feel like the blues lived with us. And uh, my husband said when I finished the book that, well, he was hoping that Matthew Blue would go back home now and <laughs> move out. So anyway, but Matthew still hangs around because I'm still keeping my eyes open to try to solve that mystery of what happened. And I think the evidence is there, but to document the evidence, I've not been able to tie the evidence together and to document it, so I can't give an answer to that part yet. But I keep looking, keep hoping. That's Mr. Blue. How did you go about collecting the information that got you at least as far as it got you in the biography? Well, actually, the Department of Archives and History, they have quite a blue collection because... Fortunately, some of the family along the way did collect a great deal of material, and they're very just tidbits of things. They're scraps of paper that may or may not relate to what I was looking for. Or the first genealogy that I read was there in this archival box, and this was back in the 1970s when I was just beginning researching and becoming more and more fascinated with this family. One of the interesting parts of the genealogy that struck me and probably helped me to become as attached as I am to the blues, and I'll tell you about connection there in a minute, but within the genealogy, the father and the mother both had come from North Carolina. They had come down the Federal Road, uh, just as so many of our ancestors did, and the father told Matthew about his schooling experiences in North Carolina, and to have named the schools that he had been to, they were country schools, of course. One was a classical academy and one was uh, an elementary type school. And two of his best friends there were two brothers, one named William Graham and one uh, John Graham. Well, both of those fellows are my great-great-great-grandfathers, which sounds like a strange thing, but my great-grandparents were third cousins. So my genealogy gets real easy after we get to that point. Anyway, so I felt very kin to the blues through that. Neil Blue, Matthew's father, and my ancestors had gone to school together. And I also learned a little bit about where my ancestors went to school, which I did not know that. 
So then as I was completing the work on the book and I was playing with Ancestry.com, I kept putting in this request, anybody doing some work on Matthew Blue. One night, we were well into completing the book, and it was not too long before we went to press. I was just playing around with Ancestry.com one night, and there is somebody also looking for Matthew Blue. So, you know, after jumping up and down a few feet, I put in a request to that person, asked, what do you know, and so forth. It turned out it was a great, great granddaughter of Matthew Blue who lives over in Utah, Alabama, and she told me that her mother and her aunt live in Birmingham. These are granddaughters of Matthew Blue. And it was at this point that I first saw what Matthew Blue looked like because family pictures and so forth were available from that point. So we've all begun calling ourselves cuz because we figured that they were all up there in North Carolina together. Somebody must have married somewhere, somewhere along the line, you know. That's the way we Southerners are. We're all cousins anyhow. Are you a native of Montgomery? I was born in Montgomery. I have a long line of ancestors that were in Montgomery, but my grandparents, both sets of grandparents, and my parents lived in Prival when I was born, but I was born here in Hubbard's Hospital. Never actually lived in Montgomery, although we were in and out of town constantly, and I graduated from high school in Clinton. My father was a international harvester dealer. I came to Huntington in 1950, and except for one year that we did live in Auburn, and, and my husband was from Clanton too, but we both had sort of a love for Montgomery. That's where we wanted to live, and we grew up, and we went to school, and he went to the Air Force, and I went to Huntington, and then uh, he graduated from Huntington when he came back, and we got married. So essentially, I was born on native soil, so I consider myself a native Montgomerian. I, I suspect that most Montgomerians might consider you an honorary native, if not a full one, because of all of the work that you've done on Montgomery. Now, are you still connected with Old Alabama Town as well? I am a volunteer and on the board. I conduct our program every year. I'm the project director for the Cultural Crossroads, which is a program that we do every January on Alabama history. We began it, and then Jay Lamar and the Drone Center became involved with us on it, and then we had it at the museum for several years, and they became involved with us. And now we've moved to the archives, and they are very much involved with us. So it's a real joint effort, but Landmarks was the initiator, if you will, of the Cultural Crossroads. We're working on that grant right now, trying to get all the material together for that. I do walking tours and whatever else comes along. What other research projects do you have in the hopper? Well, right now, Bob Gamble and I have a book on hold now because Bob has been extremely busy and I have a book that's at the publishers now on Montgomery in the 20th century. But back to Bob for just a minute. We decided I was working on that book and... This is something we're doing for the University of Alabama Press on the Alabama Capitol. I'm doing the history of the Capitol, and he will, of course, do all the wonderful architectural history of it. But it's kind of slowed down, and we've got that sitting around waiting for us to get back to it. And in the meantime, I did Montgomery in the 20th Century, which, as I worked along on that one, I decided, my goodness, it's much less walking on eggs when you're dealing with old history and not new history. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that living memory stuff can be a little tough, can it? A little bit tough, and there's still people around. And, you know, I said I walked on eggs the whole time I was working on that. 
But it's sort of a coffee table book with pictures and text. I don't know when it's coming out. Uh, surely by Christmas. Did you say who was publishing that? It's a group out in Texas that does heritage publishing. They do uh, city histories. I'm sort of doing it on the auspices of landmarks. It will be a landmarks book that comes. Then I'm doing some various and sundry little projects with other folks, a little genealogy here or there, or a little advice on something, you know, that kind of thing. And through all this, you claim that you have retired. Well, yeah, but it's, you know, what I say now is I'm playing history. I'm not uh. working. I, it's just playing <laughs> with history. It was time to retire for several reasons, but uh, also, so I would have time to do these things, like give walking tours. And my husband and I did some really good traveling there for a while. So I've enjoyed retirement. I really have. I, I can't imagine not having a lot to do. I don't think retirement would be fun unless you have something to do. I still love my work at Landmarks, but um, it's not an everyday thing. What a fascinating story about Matthew Blue and about your connection with Matthew Blue and about turning that connection into a prize-winning book. Well, thank you. Uh, and congratulations for winning the Clinton Jackson Coley Award from the AHA. I haven't had an opportunity to tell you that yet. Well, I appreciate that very, very much, Marty. I do. And, and for it to be a, the Coley Award adds something to it because I thought the world of, of Judge Coley. He was just a fine, fine historian and a wonderful friend to, to Alabama and to individuals. And it admits something to have his name attached very much. So. This has been a great conversation, and thank you once again for speaking with me today. Well, thank you, Marty, for inviting me to. I appreciate that very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at City Stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org.